0: We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk But um, I wanted to take this opportunity to share actually what I shared in America um, at the conference that Mark was at because it feels like it's something that God's bringing to us consistently. And so while we were in America, the theme of this conference was sojourning, like traveling. And um, when I thought about it from my perspective, I wanted to talk about our story and, and where we've been. And so at this conference, my, my dad uh, talked about Psalm 84, the heart set on pilgrimage. That's always going to be what comes out of my dad if you put the topic of sojourning or traveling or anything really, Psalm 84. And the idea of within Psalm 84, the destination is I want to get to stand before God in Zion. That's, that's the desire, to be before God, to relate to him as he's called us to. So I couldn't talk about our, our journey without the idea of first catching a glimpse of him. So let me take you on the journey to how we get to, to get to that. So I asked my dad, so my 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 job has been to serve my dad, John Singleton, in the things that God has called him to. And so I'm often trying to figure out what, what would best serve you at this point in time. So I asked my dad, what are your top priorities? Right, what's your top priority right now? So this was probably about over two years ago now. And his response was imparting the values. So when we talk about values, we talk about the things that God has revealed to us about the way that we are. So we talk about the lordship of Christ. We talk about how we use money. We talk about serving. We talk about um, impacting the, the areas where we live. We talk about leadership and love, acceptance, forgiveness, integrity, commitment those values have really kind of been distilled over the years in what we call the foundation course. So most of you that have joined the church, or all of you that have joined the church, would have done the foundation course, apart from one. Um, We let him off. Um, But the whole idea was, if you feel joined to this community, this is what God has revealed to this community that we are spending our lives trying to unpack. And so I'm not surprised that my dad gives that answer. We've tried in many different ways to to get this this message across because who we are, i.e. the values, how we live, has always been the highest priority for us, more than what we do. And you could say that our vision is our values. We want to live to an ever-increasing accuracy of who God has called us to be. That's that's where we go and that's where we want to get to. And so the whole idea of imparting the values is about keeping the movement going. It's about building um, a community that outlasts any one individual. That's the whole idea of pilgrimage. You keep moving, you keep journeying. And so we've tried to teach these values through things like foundation course that I mentioned. If you guys remember, in 2015, we did this series called The Normal Radical and that was all about looking at these values, the teachings around these values, but there was an invitation for us to deconstruct and reconstruct the expression of those values. So every value, it has to be lived out somehow. You've got to do something in order to show what the values are. If you don't do anything, then they just remain kind of on a website or ethereal. They have to be lived out. But the way that we lived them out in the past might not be relevant going forward. We need to keep updating our expressions of these values otherwise they, we, we, we miss touching down. So we spent a lot of time trying to invite people and us as a church, let's, let's kind of boil down to get back to what is the value away from the expression and what would it be to live this out in a modern day. We had to accept as a leadership the series failed to do that. We managed to teach this stuff, but it wasn't like we released people to to find fresh and exciting ways to live this stuff. And so sometimes it can feel just like we're teaching a code of conduct. This is how you have gotta live to be a good lifeliner. These are the behaviors that are expected of you. And that doesn't, that doesn't do it. That doesn't work. And so while I was having this conversation with my dad, Avril was there. And she said something very profound, which is unusual. Um, <laughs> she, she said, John, what you've got to remember is that the values were forged through the heat of an encounter with him. The values were forged through the heat of an encounter with him. There was something, it wasn't just an intellectual thing, you experienced something of who God was. You saw something in him. There was a heat that took place that meant that you were left different afterwards. You saw something of his nature that thrilled you and has haunted you ever since. And you're still trying to figure out what was it that I saw when I came into his presence that has left this desire in me to become more like that, to want more of that, And I've been trying to figure out ever since, how do we live according to what we've seen? And so his challenge is to be a faithful witness to what he's seen. Now, being in this conversation started a journey for me because I realized there was a need to see him. Because when you see him, it starts you desiring. You get that for Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you to cause us to will and to act. Causes us to want to do what he wants. That's what happens when we come into his presence. His his work in us. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about, with unveiled faces we behold the glory of God. We're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next so there's something as we see him we desire him and we are actually become we're we are becoming more like him so this whole idea of we've got to see him we've got to catch a glimpse it became the message that we could not move on for about 18 months And you don't know what it, you think it's hard work having to listen to the same message for 18 months. It's hard work for people that are trying to prepare a message. What should we do this week? I can't get off the fact that God is still saying to us, catch a glimpse, catch a glimpse, see me, see me. And I went through a whole process myself, like, God, why do you still want me to teach this message? And then he said, because you ain't got it yet. And I think, oh, maybe God stayed on that message out of his mercy to draw us into it. So we don't want to follow a procedure, we don't want to follow processes, but we want to be transformed through his presence. And so I often think about the story of Moses and God descending on the mountain. And Moses would go up the mountain and he would be in the presence of God. It would transform him, it changed him. And he ended up bringing the law down from the mountain and brought it to the valley to where the people were. And these were the Ten Commandments. It was the way that God wanted them to live. And the idea was they were meant to now live by this law that Moses saw when he was up in the mountain. They never managed it. They could never do it. And in fact, that was never God's desire. God's heart was that they would all come up the mountain. He was inviting them in. It was them, it was the people that said, No, we don't want to go any closer. Moses, go up for us because this this is too much for us. And so I don't want to be in a situation where John Singleton goes up the mountain. He sees and then he comes down and just tells us this is now the code of conduct you've got to live by. I want us all to journey up into the mountain. I want us all to see. And the danger is that can happen. We, we can get into that kind of bringing down the instruction. So I was talking to one of the young people a few years back. And they'd asked me, Look, I'm, I need to confront a friend, how do I do it? And during this next half an hour, I said, okay, so you need to ask this. After you've asked that, you do this. If they respond like this, you say that. And then after they've said that, you do this. If I could have put that in a pamphlet, that would have been fantastic advice. Providing it stayed on script. If that conversation went off piece even a little bit, this young person would be stuffed because they were just given a procedure and a process. And the thing that I thought afterwards was, though that might be good advice, it wasn't going to be life-changing for that individual. What I would rather have done is taken that young person up the mountain so that they could experience and see a faithful God that has laid down his life for our correction and our restoration. I want want that young person to see him, not just know what procedures and processes they need to follow. God kept me on this verse for a long time. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. That's his promise. That's what he said. That's what he made provision for. That's what he offered the children of Israel to come up the mountain for and they refused. But then he came and he done it through his son and the curtain was ripped so that now we can all know him. Each of us are to see him And then we have to be a witness for what we have seen. Not what someone else has seen. What each of us has seen. Does this mean there's no place for teaching? No, there's still requirements for teaching. We still need to teach things. But there's no replacement for that personal seeing and experiencing of who God is. I think God's talking to us about this because, as I said last week, we're in this process of transition. That those that have led for the last forty years will not be the ones leading for the next. If you have a look at kind of the the history of the ch- of the Christian Church over the years, there seems to be a kind of a pattern that forms with a number of different options. So this is this is my the best I can do with motion graphics. Okay, so James, I apologise. Um, PowerPoint's all I can do. So. When God starts, starts someone's heart on pilgrimage, you see a, a forefather, a founder, an explorer, an adventurer start out. They've seen a destination that they're heading towards. Now often God raises up around them other people that are attracted to what that person sees and they move along the path and they set up camp at some point and then they pack down the camp and they move on to the next place And they keep going, and they keep going. The thing is, we have some options when the foundation, the 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 pioneer, is no longer there. Option one: we do what's right in our own eyes. It dissipates. The movement dissipates. We all just pick what we fancy, and we head in those different directions. That's happened many times over the church history. Option two is the camp becomes a fortress and the movement stops and the followers decide the best way to honor what the founder was doing is to protect what is, rather than love the journey that they were on. And it becomes about being faithful to the ways but not continuing the movements that were there. I believe we've got to take option three, which is about keeping the movement going. For this, we've got to see something. go. <laughs> For option three to happen, I've got to love the destination with the same love as the founding father had. I've got to love the destination more than the present form of what is, more than just loving the body of people, more than loving the lessons that uh, that I've been taught. Can my heart be caught by the same thing that caught my father's heart his desire to stand before the lord in zion i want that i want that same desire to grab me i want to be faithful to that dna that has been put in us that identity that god has given this local expression of his body i'm not faithful just by doing what has been done and what my father has done, I'm faithful by seeing what my father has seen. Seeing who my father has seen. So it's not about defending the ground that has been taken. It's about loving the Lord in the same way that he's loved it. If I see a passion for a value, I want the passion. There was one time um, I was asked to pick someone up from the airport and we take picking up from the airport very seriously. We have a whole checklist to follow and um, this time, you know, Walker's crisps had just brought out their sensation range and I hadn't tried them all at this point point. and I thought, oh I've got a few minutes, let me just go into the airport shop and buy this packet of crisps Whilst that was happening, the person that I was waiting for walked past behind my back, and went and stood the other side of the lounge. And for half an hour, we're both waiting for each other. Now, I could have got away with that, but the person, that, the young person that I'd taken on the journey, decided it'd be fun to tell my dad <laughs> that, that this had happened, and then he thought it was hilarious watching some stripes getting ripped off me. Now. I still did not really get it because later I spoke to my dad saying, I don't think you're very grateful that I did the airport run. At which point my father sat me down and explained again. And I was still still kind of, my pride was still kind of reeling a little bit. And I was talking to, to Avril about it. And she said, why do you think your dad is so bothered about an airport run? And at that time, my dad was traveling maybe half... Half the year he wasn't here because he was traveling so much. Um, And I realized that's because he's had a revelation of hospitality. He's seen the heart of God to make people feel welcome. And I didn't express that heart at that moment. I tried to follow the rules, but it wasn't in my heart. And I had to make a decision at that point. Do I still justify my outrage and my hurt pride? Or do I say, God calls me to see the thing that has... that that rests in him. Let me see that aspect of your nature that I would want to express love in that way. I've talked a lot over the last little while about this concept of creating space. Giving people opportunity to express and be part of the shaping of who we are going forward. And um, one, one of the, the examples was I, I got all of the, the, the uh, notes together. That's kind of like the age, range reigned, reigned about over 18 up to kind of early careers age or what whatnot. And I said, guys, whatever God has put in your heart, go for it and I'll support you in doing it. And then um, a little while later, I had different leaders saying, we can't find anyone to help with children's work, we can't find anyone to help with youth work, we can't find anyone to help with setup." I said, well, we've got all these these young people. Why don't we talk to them? And I find they're all busy. They're all busy doing the thing that I've just given them permission to go off and do. And I thought, well, this is interesting because... We believe, collectively, we should be doing things like kids' work, youth work, set-up. It's it's a collective commitment, yet that's not necessarily in the heart of some of of these these guys. And I realised creating space has to happen within a context. Because if God has joined you to this body, he's joined you to the calling of this body... And so it can't just be what seems right in our own eyes. It's got to be what was it that God has called us to bear together and work out together. And so I realized that I had not served our young people well by saying just go, go do whatever it is. Because I would not given them a chance to catch a sight of what it is that God has called us to be and where he's called us to go. They were not yet haunted by the same things that had haunted the leaders of of the church. And so I realized there needed to be a journey for for those guys to go on, where they came and saw what others had already seen. And this this phrase kind of came to me, or someone gave it to me, I can't remember. You sacrifice for what you love, and you love what you sacrifice for. Sometimes we realise that we're not committed to something because we've not actually had to sacrifice for it and we don't realise that we're not really committed to something until a a sacrifice comes up. I was talking to one of the young people that I've been kind of going on this this kind of journey with and stuff I'm talking about. I I set them some homework. I said, what do you think are the values that, that... God has revealed to Lifeline. What are the, what's the flavor? What's what's within our kind of DNA that we want to express? And how much do you love those things? And so they reported back to me and they said, I thought this was going to be really easy. I discovered it was really hard and I talked to my dad about it. My dad said you've been here 17 years and you don't know the answer to all of this. Truth is, it don't happen by osmosis. There's got to be Something that changes that makes, makes us draw this in. And it's about a sight of him, a glimpse of him. And so he, kind of, he suggested some things that seemed to be in line with, with our values. Then I said to him, so what of those things do you love enough to sacrifice for, if push come to shove? And he said, to be honest, none of them really. I said, so if you took out my dad, your dad and me, and now you are in, in the seat, and you're put in a situation of tension between that value and another value, what, why would you keep this movement going? The reality is I wouldn't. And that's, that's an important confession and recognition of when push comes to shove, If I've not seen, if I've not seen these things in the face of God, I ain't going to stick to them. I won't love them enough. I won't love the destination enough to keep the movement going. There'd be too much temptation to compromise. So, having done youth work for many years, but also being. In this church for 40 years I kind of straddle two generations here and kind of I have the privilege of understanding how minds work of what I would call the veterans and the minds of what I would call kind of the emerging and the way that I kind of describes this kind of the way I see the situation is uh, three waves so, you have the, the first wave. The first wave is the person that God catches their heart and their mind and sets the pilgrimage going. And they start pointing away and heading towards it. You then have the second wave, those that are following, that are joined with them and follow with them. I tend to refer to the second wave kind of as a veteran. Now, this isn't just based on age. So, don't get too hung up in that because we can be veterans and be quite young. But by veterans I'm thinking of those that have often had close proximity to the uh, the pioneer. And then you've got the third wave, which I talk about, the the emerging. Those that have joined the journey a little way after it's, it's been going. So have a little think for yourself. Could you be a veteran? Might you be an emerging? Are you a second wave or a third wave? The benefit that a second wave has is within that close proximity of someone like John, he has built a track record in your life that says he's been there at times when I've needed him, he's offered advice at times when I've needed that advice. I've, I'm so comfortable with his input in my life that you can even get into a point of well, as long as John thinks it's okay that's good enough for me because he's proved it in the past. You can get though into a situation like this and I heard, I heard this was an actual line there was an, a, a discussion between an emerging and a veteran um, and uh The the veteran tried to do the trump card and said well I don't think John Singleton would see it that way. At which point the veteran the emerging quite rightly has the opportunity to say John who? Because they have not had the same proximity. They've not got the track record in their life. I need to know why this is right more than because one person said it was. I need to have seen and experienced it for myself. And that's so important. And this is one of the benefits of of why the second wave and the third wave, the veterans and the emerging, you guys need each other. Because the veteran might know it works, but they might not know why. And it's the annoying questions from the emerging that say, but why does it work? Why? Why did John Singleton say it? And that gives us an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't know, because I'm not sure if I've seen it for myself. I'm not sure if it's living in me. I've just absorbed a culture, but I'm not living from a love for the destination. Each will know him from the least to the greatest. That's his promise. So in order for this movement to continue, there needs to be a willingness to allow things to change. So we've we've often talked about this picture that God gave us about a tsunami. And when a tsunami floods, floods the land, it reshapes the landscape. Where the shoreline used to be can change. And we believe that God is bringing us into a time of reshaping the landscape it ain't going to look the way that it looked before. There are people that are emerging that are helping shape who we are going forward. But reshaping requires two critical things. Discipleship and creating space. So when I say creating space has to be within a context, it has to be in the context of discipleship. If we want to re- maintain this movement, if we don't want to either dissipate, go all in our different directions, or we don't want to turn this into a denomination and become stuck in our ways, if we want to keep the movement going, the pilgrimage going, we have to disciple and be discipled and we have to create space. Some examples of... Of my experience of discipleship, when I was in my early to mid-teens, I had just a growing interest in the Bible and was was trying to read it on my own. My dad spotted this interest, and he said, "Would you like to study with me?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's study together." So we started studying the Bible together. Then he said, "Oh, this week instead of..." Uh, just continuing the study that we're doing. Do you want to help me prepare for Sunday morning? Oh, yeah, that would be good. So I'm sitting with him, studying the Bible, but now we're doing it from a perspective of who are the people that God has given us to lead? What's going on in their lives? What might God's word be for these people at this time? And I started to get an exposure to his love for you guys. And there was something that was beginning to kind of knock on my heart, knock on the door of my heart. Why would you teach this thing and not that thing? Well, because I think this is relevant for these people and what they're going through. And I've begun to see his knowledge and his understanding and his love and his care. Then he would begin to say, oh, that stuff that you've done with the youth, that illustration, do you think you could do it on a Sunday? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could, I could do that. Then he'd start to say, well, would you like to teach a bit of this? Like, oh, okay, if you think I can. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can do it. Not only over time was I discipled into being able to teach and stand here today, but something more important was transferred, which was that love for the people that I'm talking to and an interest in what's going on in your life so that most of the stuff that I teach, I'm already talking to individuals to find out how does this stuff help you? How does it make make a difference afterwards? It wasn't just, you fancy doing some teaching? Yeah, sure, grab the stage. That would not have served me. That might have inflated my ego. That might have given me a sense of, well, it's less boring than having to sit and listen to someone. But it wouldn't have kept the movement going. It wouldn't have been allowing for the reshaping. In a similar way, I started traveling with my dad and visiting our friends abroad. To begin with, my job was to carry his bag. That's how it started. And I'd have to sit in the lobby area on an, or in a uh, hotel room while he talks and chatted with people in these different countries. And I'd just sit there. But then over time, he'd say, what did you think of that conversation? I, said, mm. I thought it's interesting how they reacted when you said this. Mm, what do you think was going on there? I said, don't know. Why didn't you ask? Well, ask the big people. All right, I'll try it. I begin to ask. But then I'd see his heart unfolding and being expressed during this time. Then he'd say, have you got any ideas of what we could talk about or teach on? So, like, well, we could teach on the stuff that we've been teaching back at home because we saw the impact that they had for these people. And so I was kind of built up into this. One of the most impactful times, and I've talked about this before, we were in Zimbabwe and there was... Um, this young young guy um, who was estranged from, from his wife at the time. And my dad had said to George Moyer, if you see this, this lady, I must speak to her. And so dad had just finished this three-hour meeting. I was tired, and I hadn't even spoken. Um, and so we were just getting in the car on the way back to the hotel, and the, the car is driving out of the compound, and George shouts through the, the open window, I've just seen her. She's here. Dad's foot was on the ground before the car had even stopped moving. And he jumped out the car and he walked around the the compound talking to this this lady. Then he gets back in the car and he said, if I can just save that marriage for the sake of the kingdom, what a difference it would make. And I remember in that moment I thought, my goodness, my heart is not there. I saw something in that moment. It's like, what have you seen that would cause you to step out of a moving vehicle? I have not seen what you've seen. I want to see it. And there, was, there is a process that we go through where we can humble ourselves or we can kind of departmentalize someone else's fanaticism. Is that word fanaticism? Yeah. At that point I saw... There's something that I'm yet to see that would cause that to happen. God do that in me. He would always allow time for my questions. So guys, young people, emerging leaders, new amongst us, even if you're veterans, ask more questions. Ask that God makes you curious. Because until you start asking, you can't drill down to find out What it is that people have seen that have caused it to form in this way? Why would you step out of a moving car? Why would you do it? He would also give me opportunity to challenge him. If I thought that sometimes his behaviour didn't match the values that he taught about, he was secure enough to let me question him and challenge him and say, I don't sound right. That doesn't reflect your heart in what you're doing. And we talk about it. Now, within this unique role, I think God's given a message that, that I'm seeking to bring. There's a message to the veterans and a message to the emerging. So for the veterans can't get past this picture at the moment of salmon. So you know salmon, to reproduce, to keep their species going, they swim back upstream to lay their eggs at the the beginning of the, the river. So it means that they are swimming up rapids. They are hurling themselves onto rocks, avoiding bears, trying to get up to the top. They... They did not take up the opportunity just to enjoy their days out in the the open waters and just have fun and do what, I don't know what salmon do, really, for fun. (laughs) Instead, they use up their energy and their life to keep the movement going, to keep their species going. What what my dad told me afterwards, I didn't realise this, but after a salmon lays its eggs, it dies and its offspring feed on its own body. Pretty gross. But think about that level of commitment to keep the movement going. And why is it? Why is it so important for a salmon? Why is it so important for us? Because God started us on a movement. God started John Singleton on a journey, on a pilgrimage. That started before him will continue after him because he loves God. And God's not finished on this earth yet. So we've got to build in a way that outlasts us. Though the baton might be in my hand for this stretch of the race, the race started before me and the race is going to finish after me. But while that baton's in my hand, I want to give my all to my leg of the race. We need to be like salmon. We've got to see something imparted in the next to keep this movement going. There's a great, uh, great uh, TED talk by a guy called Derek Shevers, I think it is. Um, it's how to, how to start a movement. And he plays this uh, little clip, about a three-minute clip of this weird guy dancing in this out, outdoor concert. And it's really wacky kind of dancing. And then this... First, this other guy goes and starts dancing with him, and then another guy and another guy, and they keep calling their friends out until there's a mass rush of everyone comes and joins this mad dancing guy. But the thing that he says is, if you want to create a movement, you need to embrace your first follower as an equal. Then it's about the excuse me. Then it's about the movement. It's not about you as an individual. And we need to be doing that as veterans. We can't be positioning ourselves as more important or more powerful or l- looking down on those that God has joined with us. Yes, sometimes the, the arrogance of youth is pretty jarring. I know because I was one. I'm very jarring and very arrogant. But when we embrace as an equal, we Open up the opportunity for someone to see what we've seen, to journey with them up the mountain. I believe that God is in the business, and this is what he's going to be doing over these coming days, is um, Malachi 4.6, it talks about, I will turn the hearts of the children to their parents and the hearts of their parents to their children. God, do this in us. Cause us as veterans to be curious of what's going on in the lives of our emerging leaders. God, cause us to want to know what you're up to. And for our emerging, cause them to be curious and want to know why do we do what we do? And so for veterans, it's time to cast a mantle. Just like Elijah did over Elisha. He went and found him. God told him, go And find Elisha. Who's God calling you to go and find? Elisha was not knocking down Elijah's door at this point. He was busy in the fields. And uh, Elijah went and threw his coat on top of him to say, I'm choosing you as someone I'm going to invest in. I've understood about the story of um, Jesus and the disciples that back in those days... Every young man would have done, um, done, done a schooling for a period of time, kind of almost primary school up to a certain age where you learn about the Torah, um, the, the first few books of the, the, the Old Testament. And if you were good enough, if you showed enough aptitude and skill, you could go and find a rabbi and say, can I follow you? And if the rabbi thought you were good enough, he'd say, yes. You can follow me. And then you go into secondary school. You you continue education. If you didn't qualify, you went and joined your father's business. For those guys to be fishing with their father meant that they had not qualified. They had not made it to secondary school. They had gone into their father's business. They weren't looking for a rabbi. But Jesus went to them, come follow me. He decided that they qualified. They weren't looking for him. He came and found them. And so veterans, it's time to go find some people. Who is it? Who can you say? Come follow me. Let me show you what I've learned. Let us learn together. Let us come back into the presence of God where he forges those values, that heart set on him take the time to explain why do we do what we do we've got to explain the reasons why and tell your story it's funny on on the plane over to america i just had this urge to just t- just remember and recollect with my dad key times where god became real to me and they were always very specific Very contextualized to what I was going through at that time. But God made himself known to me. And he completely changed my life. He changed my perception of who he is. And he changed my perception of who I am because of it. I thought, why am I telling these stories? I realized God is a great storyteller. And he wants us to tell the stories where he features in. And I was saying this, and Mark said... Did you realize that's what I did when I was in America? I told six stories about my life. I think, man, we do need to tell our stories. And it's amazing the life that comes back to us when we tell our stories. While we were in America, these, um, we were put in these small groups. And, you know, sometimes when you're put in a small group, you kind of, all right, let's go through the motions of doing this thing and answering the questions. But for this, these small groups we are in, the, the speed of vulnerability and openness of these guys in this group were just incredible. And there's mixed age. We had a couple of guys, probably about 20, 20 years old. And then some, um, some, of the, some older guys in there. And there was this point where uh, one guy, uh, actually um, Mark mentioned him, a guy called Joel. We, we were saying, who do we want to pray for at this time? He said, I, I just want to pray for my wife. She's battled cancer for the last 11 years. Four different types of cancer, one after another. Then five years ago, our son was killed in a motorbike accident on on the day of his wedding. And you just see this guy just absolutely softened by what he's been through. He could even easily have been hardened by it. He was softened by it. And his kindness and his love is just so tangible. And I was looking at these two 20-year-olds, and I think, you have no concept of journeying with a loved one for 11 years of cancer. There's no kind of twinkle in their eye of recognition. But that's okay. They couldn't possibly appreciate it but one day they will one day those guys will stand before a church or a congregation with their fiance next to them and commit to love them in sickness and in health I think at that point they will, they will know what they're promising because that man's story would have, would have put a seed in their life just because a young person does not have a twinkle in their eye of recognition of your story does not mean it doesn't have value. Yeah. And sometimes when you're making a puzzle, you, you think, well, I want the edges pieces first, because then I can work from the edges <laughs> in. Sometimes you have a bit right in the middle, and everything else forms around that. We have to share our story We have to point people to to who we know God is, how God has proved himself in our lives. And one day, there will be a twinkle of recognition for what we've put in them. Tell your story, even if it doesn't like it connects yet. So my message to veterans, are you willing to be part of the reshaping? God forbid us just from managing rotors and maintaining the machine. I want to be part of the reshaping. Take time to consider what might hinder you from your discipling. Because we can all agree, yes, we should be discipling. But then when we look around and realize it's not happening, be brave and ask why. What is it that stops it happening? Is it past hurts? Is it about not being clear on where you're going yourself? Is it about not feeling you've got the energy or the time to give? Is it about it not being convenient, or is it too vulnerable to be? Uh, is it, it's too painful to be vulnerable about where you're at, or you can't see that there's anyone inv- worth investing in. What is it? Ask God to search you and show you what might hinder you from discipling. Take the time, look around, God. Who have you joined to us at this point in time? Because Jesus says, God will build his church. He's doing it. He's doing it all the time. And it might be those that didn't seem to qualify, that have gone and joined their father's business, that is the ones that have been joining us. We need to be patient. And we need to be intentional. Don't wait for it to be convenient. It's never going to be convenient. The enemy will make sure it doesn't become convenient. Then are you willing to be curious? Moses was curious. He saw a burning bush. Wouldn't have been the first burning bush. Sometimes in deserts, the heat causes bushes just to set on fire. But it didn't burn up. And it started started him asking some questions. Why is this bush not burning up? His curiosity brings him closer. As he gets closer, he encounters God. He, gets, he hears God's voice and he is commissioned for the next time, the next part of his journey. Be curious. God, what are you up to? Because God is alive and well in every human heart. Jacob wakes up from his dream and says, Surely the Lord was here the whole time. I just wasn't aware of it. It's okay not to be aware. But God can make us curious. Walt Whitman said, be curious, not judgmental. Come in close enough. You could easily write someone's behavior off and assign it to a particular motive or a state of heart. Be curious, come close enough and have a look and you will be surprised as you take an interest and you put your love towards someone. You'll be surprised what ends up coming back out from them. that you might go through a number of different people before you find someone that really bites. So be aware, be willing. If a, if a salmon gets washed back down the waterfall, doesn't like, well, I tried, swim back down again. And it throws himself back up again, or herself probably. What's the message to the emerging? I'm asking this question an awful lot right now. Are you here because this is your parents' church, it's your local church, it's the most convenient to uproot yourself and go somewhere else. It's too much of a a, a hindrance. Or are you here because God has called you to be here? And if God's called you to be here, that must mean that he's called you to be part of the purpose of this this community and what has been put on this, this community. In which case, I'm asking the question, so Do you want to contribute to who we are and where we're going? Are you open to have an experience like what the forefathers have had before us? Are you willing to engage in discipleship, not just Mm -hmm. learn in your head, but go on a journey to see? My next question would be, do you even know where we're going? Do you know who we've been called to be? In which case, you need to find out, how are you going to find out who we are called to be and where we're going? How are you going to plug in? We're trying to be more transparent as a leadership in trying to say, say where we're going. So next week, you're going to have um, access to a video, an interview that Ella did with Avril, as a member of the core team to try and explain where we're going. Now, I know we're taking this seriously because Avril actually wrote some notes before she started speaking. And it looked like she looks at them on the video. So (coughs) there is a responsibility on us as leaders to be transparent, but there's a responsibility on you as part of the reshapers to want to find out where are we going. The better questions you ask, the more it helps us know if we are communicating it well or not. So once, so these are all discipleship-related questions. This one gets into, so how are you going to help us reshape? How are you going to express these things? If you have seen what we have seen, if you've... If you've had that experience of who God is, there's an urgency in you. I've got to see this lived out. I'm haunted by what I've seen. I'm scarred in a positive way by who he is. I want to live it. I want to live it in community with others that have been touched by the same thing. But I've got to work out how to live it for my generation. That is not the way that they lived it for the previous generation. One of the topics that we we talk about in the foundation is integrity. I don't know if there's an example or a case study how to live integrity in social media. It wasn't relevant to those that went before. It is relevant now. How do we live these things in the digital age? How do we live in the temptations that that, that you guys are going to face which are different to the temptations that others faced? But unless you love it, what will stop you compromising? And you don't love it unless you catch a glimpse and you see for yourself. Now, a lot of this stuff that I've been talking about, I've explored through these podcasts that me and Nick have done on the evolution revolution. So um, I got some notes that I've not got time to go into now. But that, that material is all within there, um, particularly in the Creating Space episode. So I was going to look at... Um, What what can help or hinder the creation of space, but have a look at on there. I'm always around for questions and appreciate questions and conversations. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.